0: Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Let's take a moment to pray right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. And Lord, we just pray that as we move forward here today, that your word would be revealed into our hearts and minds. That your things, the things of God, would come alive to us, that we'd see and know things with precision and accuracy, know how they apply to us personally and to those we come in contact with. Thank you for utterance now and boldness to speak your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've been with us for the last uh, few weeks, we've been uh, in a series called "The Making of a Marriage," and today. We're ready. Here we go. We're going to move on from where we were. And, of course, I do want to get into some practical aspects of marriage. However, we're dealing at this point with some of the technicalities or what's required, what's accepted, what's not. Uh, last week we were looking at uh, Matthew chapter 19 and what Jesus had to say about the subject of marriage divorce and remarriage when he was questioned by the pharisees and they were trying to test him and they asked him is it lawful for a person to divorce his wife for any reason and uh, again I'm not going to review that stuff that is a good foundation from where we're uh, to set it up where we're going today and so if you missed that you'll want to get that message go online or get a CD and get that information it'll be uh, highly Im- valuable and important Uh, For us to build upon Uh, but again whether you're married or not married uh, whether you're divorced or not divorced whether whatever your circumstances are you should as a believer understand the will of God and what he wants and what he expects and what's permissible and so forth. And not only for your own life, but also for the lives of those you come into contact with. There's a whole lot of confusion concerning this subject. A whole lot of people are living condemned and beat up over not attaining what they see that God wants for them. And, uh, and I want to remove the pressure. I believe uh, that the Lord is a master of removing problems and, uh, and, and removing burdens from people's hearts so that we do not live in condemnation. And so we've been talking about, is it ever okay to divorce? If so, when? You know, are divorced people required to remain single the rest of their lives? And we want to have the heart of God and not just a tradition, not just what we've always heard. Um... It's important for us to understand and know what's being said to the church as opposed to what's being said by Jesus to the people of His time. You remember this, that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were not written to us. However, they were written for us. But as New Testament believers, we are to go to the epistles to see words that are directly applied to our time and our day because we don't live under the law, but we do live under grace. Okay? And so it's very valuable and, under, uh, and important that we understand who's being spoken to. When we get over to here to 1 Corinthians 7, it'll help us before we read some of these verses to understand the culture and the background in which Paul was writing this letter. First of all, the church at Corinth was a basket case. This group of believers, they were a mess. okay? You can see that, not by reading historical books, but by simply reading the Bible, okay? They had all kinds of problems. They were suing each other. They had communion and they would get drunk at the communion service, okay? They had gifts of the Spirit flowing which is a very good thing but it was a chaotic mess in their church they had no order they had it it was just it was like a circus in their services i mean it was just crazy And these are all the things that the apostle paul addressed they had a guy in their church that was living with his mother-in-law in open sin and 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 they weren't even hiding it they were just like yeah look at this I mean, they really had some issues. And, uh, and and this is the people that Paul is answering the questions uh, that they asked about. But their city, you think about the city of Corinth, that city was not exactly the center for mor- morality either. It was a very wealthy but also very corrupt city. It was considered in their time to be the most immoral city in all the world. And this is where God... Brought up a church, isn't that just like him? <laughs> and uh, but of course they had stuff to deal with. When you come out of a world of immorality and and just evil and corruption, and you get saved, well, your spirit saved, but you've got a lot of junk in your brain still. Your mind must be renewed. But this city again was uh, it was the home of the temple of Aphrodite. All right, this was the goddess of erotic love. All right. This was in their hometown. They had on staff a thousand temple prostitutes on staff at the church, at the temple, okay? Um, they believed, because Greek philosophy was very strong in their area, they believed that marriage was a very cumbersome institution. Like, you're better off not being tied down to that. Uh, you don't need that, that marriage. That was, too, that was, that was bondage. All right? You'd be better off just not getting married. Right? How I many know people are thinking that way today as well? Even, in, uh, even in, in California. As we read in the news recently, there's some kooks there. And I say that with all affection. These wackos. Uh, there's some people trying uh, to remove the whole institution of marriage altogether. Because, you know, they lost in that last election with the marriage amendment so they want to wipe marriage off the books altogether nobody's married how dumb can you get and still breathe but that's the environment that's that's going on there and uh of course you know the reason for that is so they can just have everybody can be domestic partners that way anyone can be a domestic partner you and your dog you and some other dude know what i'm talking about and so, anyway, in their, in their situation, why get married? Because, you know, if a man needs sexual release, he could just go down to the temple and worship. And that's the, way, that's the situation they came out of. That's why uh, in the sixth chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul made some strong statements. He said, don't you know... That your bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost? Don't you know that you've been bought with a price? And he would have to tell them, Don't you realize it's wrong to join yourself to a harlot? I mean, I think most of us, we don't really need that letter. I mean, when I get, get ready to write letters and newsletters and things to the church, I'm not thinking, I've got to tell these people that prostitution is wrong. <laughs> because, you know, I think most of us know that. However, they didn't know that. They were confused about this subject and that's why they had so much chaos in their church and um, uh, there were some in their city that went to the other extreme and they weren't so loosey-goosey and just everything goes, but they went far on the other side and said any type of physical pleasure, that's wrong. And so they got to the point where they would say, even if you're married, husbands and wives shouldn't have sexual relations other than what's necessary to procreate. They didn't recognize the recreate part uh, of what God intended. And uh, they said it's all wrong. They would deny themselves all pleasure whatsoever. And so you got extremes on both sides. And then Paul was coming around and so they wrote him a list of questions. And that's what we want to look at. What did these people ask about marriage, divorce, and remarriage? And again, because this is New Testament age, the age of grace, we can learn some valuable principles that apply to us directly today. All right? In verse 1, chapter 7, Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, So he's responding. It's not Paul saying, all right, what should I teach on marriage here today? No, he's answering their questions. He said, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. In other words, they had a question about that because of their society. When he says to touch a woman, he's basically referring to sexual intercourse there. And he said, yeah, it is good that that doesn't happen. He said, verse 2, nevertheless, because of sexual immorality... Each man, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. In other words, not multiple, uh, you know, um, he said it's good, but if you want to do this, you should just get married. You should just have your own wife. Each woman should have her own husband. Again, that's in response to their question about sex. Get married. Verse 3 Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her. What kind of affection is that? You're afraid to say it out loud, aren't you? (laughs) Sex. And likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Now, how many know you can take those statements to extreme and people start being going overboard and, and being demanding and all kinds of stuff? I, I don't think that's the way we're supposed to take that. I'll get into this kind of stuff later. But in any relationship, husbands ought to look at what the Word of God says to them and do their part. Wives ought to look at what the Word of God says to them and do their part and not focus on what the other person is supposed to do. Well, the Bible says that you need to do this for me. Hmm. And that's how a lot of people approach their problems. You are required to do this. Yeah, but you're not the enforcer. If they are required, yes, but you need to pray that God will deal with their heart so they'll obey Him and not just be forced into something by you. That really doesn't work so well. Okay, anyway, he goes on to say in verse 5, do not deprive one another except with consent for a time. Deprive one another of what? Wow, you're getting bold. (laughs) (laughs) That you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Okay, and so again, he's, he's saying, because understand their mindset. Some said, you know, go for it. all, oh, everything's accepted. The other said, no, nothing's accepted. He said, listen, it is, but get your own wife. <laughs> get your own husband. Then come together and like, you know, be involved. Do it a lot. But um, this is, I'm just paraphrasing here. <laughs> but he said, he said, in, in some situations, you may choose in agreement with each other to abstain for a period of time, to pray, to fast. But he said, if you do that, make sure you come back together. Because if you don't, you're going to be tempted. All right? The devil's going to tempt you, and that's where uh, marriage is, you know, one of the biggest problems in a marriage can come from. I find this very interesting, though. Look at the very next verse. This will give you uh, an understanding of the whole chapter. He said, but I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. Notice the language here. He said, "I'm not commanding you to do this. I'm saying this is a concession of making. In other words, in reality, if you don't want to get married, well, don't." And he said, "And if you're married and you're, you know, having a good close, re, uh, you know, union and all that kind of stuff, he said, you don't have to do this fasting thing where you separate from a period of time. He's not telling you th- you have to do this. He's saying." If you want to do that, just make sure and come together if you do that. I want you to notice the language he's using, how he's not presenting absolutes. He's not saying, this is the way it has to be. He's saying, this would be a good idea. I think, because he's answering their questions. Yeah, get married and come together. And yeah, you do owe that to each other. And if you want to abstain for a while, okay, fine. Just make sure you come back together. But if you don't want to abstain at all, that would be okay too. That's the language he's using in in this chapter. Not saying, thus saith the Lord this is what you must do. And this is how many times a week you must do it. And this is what you must not do. No, it's nothing like that. It's about husband and wife agreeing. Let's read on. Verse 6. He said, For I wish that all men were even as I myself, but let each one, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. In other words, uh, he's saying I'm single because he was sing- single. He's, uh, he's saying I wish everybody were just like me, single. He said, I'm having a good time. I can serve the Lord without hindrance, without distraction. I wish that everybody were like that. He said, but I realize not everybody's gifted that way. Not everybody can handle living their life single. He said, So, you know, do whatever your gift is. Go for go for go for it. Verse eight, but I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I. You unmarried, your spouse died, and you're single again? He said, I think it'd be a good idea if you stayed that way. He said, But what? But notice again, this is the way, this is what I think you should do. But Here's another exception. He's making provision for them to do something different than what he thinks is uh, good for their situation. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. In other words, I don't want you to live your life unfulfilled. I don't want you to live your life desiring and wanting to be married and wanting to have a, a sexual relationship, but you can't. He said, that's not what I want, so go ahead and get married. He gives his recommendation and says, but also you could do this. Let me throw this thought out to you just for for a moment. He said to the unmarried and to the widows, is it possible that any of those unmarried people were married? If someone was married, but yet they got divorced, are they married? They are now unmarried. Is it possible that when he said to the unmarried, whether they'd never been married or they were married, he said to them, let, if they want to get married, they don't have self-control, let them marry. All right, hold on to that thought. We'll go a little bit deeper here. As we as we continue on. Verse nine. But if they uh, we already read that, he said it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Now I want you to look over here at uh, down at twenty five. Actually before I say that, let me let me give you this. You don't have to turn there if you don't want, but first Timothy chapter three and verse one. First Timothy three one says the Spirit expressly says in the latter times that some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Verse three, doctrine of demon now forbidding to marry one of the things the devil promotes is he forbids people to marry my concern is that even in the church in times past that people have been forbidden to marry sometimes because they have been married previously now they are being commanded or forbidden not to marry and i see That is one of the doctrines of demons To tell people they cannot marry Amen I want to take time I want to let people chew on this If you were here last week You're already on board But if you weren't You're battling Especially if you've been in church And if you've been married uh, Had marriages in the past that failed You've probably lived with a lot of condemnation if you've been in church. But we want to see what the Lord is really intending to say to us. Okay, now back to First Corinthians 7, verse 25. 25, now concerning virgins, I have no commandment from the Lord. Now, virgins here, that's speaking of those who have never been married. And Paul said, the Lord didn't say anything to me about you guys. He said, yet I give my judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. Look at the language he's using. He said, the Lord didn't say anything to me, anything about you guys. He said, but I'm going to go ahead and give you my judgment. And we've got an inspired biblical account of Paul's judgment. And now we take it as the word of God. But how is it given? His judgment. Do you know why he, and he needed to do that? Because God did not, especially in our covenant, our, the new age of grace, uh, He did not detail out every potential problem that a person could face in marriage. There are so many variations. I've heard some wild variations. But what we have in the New Testament are principles. And someone said, but what about my situation? And you come up with all these different twists and angles. I can't give you a chapter and verse that deals specifically with your scenario. What are we supposed to do? We are supposed to use our judgment. That's what Paul did. He said, concerning you guys, the Lord just didn't say anything to me about it. So I'm going to give you my judgment. We need to be able to do that. We've got to be able to judge situations and circumstances based on the eternal principles of God's Word. And I might as well just say this while we're here. What governs all marriage and even divorce and remarriage in the New Covenant? What governs that? How many know we have one law? Old Testament had tons of laws. We have one. It's called love. In other words, the question of what would love do answers all situations. That's the principle from which we get our judgment as to what would be acceptable, what would be permissible, and what wouldn't. What would love do? And I want you to know here, especially as I go go on, my desire is not to give people permission to break up their homes. To break up marriages that's not my desire It's not the Lord's will from the Beginning it wasn't so he wants Us to be together wants marriages To stay together but we must Have answers for the what ifs And what about this situation What about this circumstance And for many of you what about My past where do I stand before God today Am I an adulterer today because I Remarried all those questions are Valid and we must have Bible Answers for those Questions. Okay. So again, Paul said here, I give my judgment. All right. Verse 26, I suppose, therefore, listen to the language. Well, I suppose that's different than thus saith the Lord. I suppose, therefore, that this is good because of the present distress, the present distress. In other words, now he's explaining, he's answering the questions in light of their current situation the time in which they live, all the happenings around them. He called it a distress, a current or present distress. We don't actually know what that is. He doesn't say. We can speculate as to persecution against the church. That's kind of something I've thought for a long time, and I don't know for certain, but we know that, you know, if there's a lot of persecution against believers and someone gets married, well, there's now two targets instead of one. And if they want at you and they can get your spouse and take them hostage or something, I mean, there are some things that could come into play. I know for certain that their church was distressed. Their city was distressed. There was a lot of chaos and a lot of sin happening. And that might be some of the reason why Paul continually said, you know, I think you'd just be better off being like me. There's a lot of problems in this world right now. There's a lot of junk to deal with. You might just want to hold off on the marriage. All right. He said concerning the present distress that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Okay, what what do you mean as he is? He goes on to say, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Or if you're married, stay married. (laughs) Don't try to get out of this because of all this chaos going on. Stay married. Listen, look, look at this. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. Now, what does he mean they're loosed from a wife? This is where some translators have been scared to translate that correctly. Loosed is a good translation. Literally, it's you have been loosed from a wife. It's something that's already happened. You have been loosed from a wife. Some translations will just say, are you unmarried? That's not accurate. That's not really what he's saying. Okay, have you previously been loosed from a wife? All right, who's a guy in here, single guy who's never been married? All right, have, have, have you... <laughs> you raised your hand. <laughs> Could we say, Patrick, that you are loosed from a wife? No, there was no wife to be loosed from. So when he asked this question... Are you loosed from a wife? He's not talking about a single person who's never been married. But again, watch this. He gives his recommendation. Have you been loosed or have you been divorced from a wife? He said, uh, don't seek a wife. Again, why? Again, that's their situation, their circumstance, the time in which they're dealing with. But look at this, verse 28. But even if you do marry, you have not sinned. Who has not sinned? The person who was divorced. He said the divorced person who gets married hasn't sinned. Isn't that about opposite of what you've heard? What what so many churches have taught over the years? If a divorced person ever gets married, well, bless God, they're an adulterer now. Because of what Jesus said. Obviously, Paul didn't see what Jesus said as meaning that. Or he wouldn't have blatantly contradicted him. He said a divorced person who gets remarried... Has not sinned. You can see. Look up. Look on. A- and if a virgin marries. She has not sinned. Well don't we know that? If an unmarried person. No one has never been married. If they get married. They haven't sinned. I don't think we have trouble with that. But what he's saying. Is the person who was divorced. And gets married. Has is no more wrong. Than the person who's never been married. He said Nevertheless. Such will have trouble in the flesh. But I would spare you. He said, you're going to have problems. How many know any person who gets married <laughs> is going to have problems? They are. Where are they going to have it? In the flesh. All right. Not only do you have your own flesh to deal with, now you've got somebody else's flesh to deal with. And if two people get walking in the flesh... <laughs> <laughs> Don't invite me over <laughs> because that's a chaotic home. That's a that's a very stressful situation to be in when two people are walking in the flesh. But how many know that for the person who's been loosed from his wife and then gets remarried, he hasn't sinned, but that person's got extra problems in the flesh, like what? Like custody battles, like division of finances and all that stuff, like alimony and and uh, and uh, the you know potential. Or probable hurts from the past and memories and comparison and all kinds of issues come into play when a person does marry again. So he's saying, be ready, you're going to have some additional trouble. But the problem is not that God is rejecting you because you've done that. Amen. Now obviously, there needs to be wisdom, there needs to be guidance and counsel in all these situations so people do things right. But again, what we're talking about is not some law that God laid down where where the Lord wants us to know any person who's ever had a had a past and had a divorce in their past, they're now uh, condemned to be single for the rest of their life. Now, if you want to be single, that's not condemnation. But for some, they couldn't imagine that. Again, I like to think of the person who's 20, 30 years old. And they're divorced, whether it was their fault or the other person's fault or both of their fault. Uh, And now they they have put on them, required by God, you have to be single for the next 70, 80 years. I don't see that that that's what the Lord is teaching. That's not what Paul was teaching. That's not the heart of God. Okay? Are we making it easy and giving people a license to not be committed? No, you're missing God if you have that attitude. It's not His desire for any marriage to uh, to separate, but there are some extreme situations that we need to understand God's love toward us. And it's not just the divorce that He doesn't like, it's all the garbage that led up to the divorce. All right, let's go back here and look back at verse 10. All right, I'm reading this chapter out of order on purpose uh, so we can understand what he's saying in light of our culture and the mindset that we have. Verse 10 he said now to the married I command yet not I but the Lord the wife is not to depart from her husband. Okay look at the language. He's saying on this one the Lord did talk to me about this. This is not my opinion. This is not my judgment. The Lord said to the wives who are married to a husband don't leave them. That's pretty clear. What's the will of God, wives, if you're married? Stay put. Now, watch though. You would think, because this stated this as a commandment from the Lord, that there would be no exceptions. That would be my first reaction. Think about some of the commandments uh, of the Old Testament, some of the Ten Commandments. For example, one of the commandments was about the Sabbath day, the Old Testament, Old Covenant Sabbath day, all right? And how, I mean, the laws were very strict concerning that day. And uh, when Jesus came along, He found Himself getting in trouble all the time with the Pharisees, the religious leaders of their day, because of him breaking the Sabbath day. His disciples would go through the field one day. And pick some corn and eat it. And they were all up in arms. What are they doing breaking the lo- breaking the Sabbath? They can't pick the corn on the Sabbath day. And they can't eat the wheat and, or whatever they were doing. And Jesus pointed out. Hey didn't you ever read about David what he did? David did the same thing. His men were hungry. They went in and ate the show That was unlawful. And Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man. Not man for the Sabbath. It's like okay, we got this law, but an exception, right? We have the Lord saying, "I don't want you to have any other gods before me. Make no graven or carven or carved image of any kind. Don't do that. Don't make these images." Yet Moses put the serpent on the pole and said, "Had them all stare at it to get healed." Yet even on the Ark of the Covenant, there was some graven images. There was the cherubim on the on the top there, these images, yeah, he said don't make any of them, Well, but make these. What I'm not saying is for, uh, for us to try to find a loophole like the Pharisees to kind of get around anything that the Lord says, but even when Paul said right here, the Lord said to me this, this is his command, wives, don't leave. Now this might be hard for some to receive, is it possible there are exceptions to that? Because, listen, my heart is, I'm not wanting to mold God's word to fit our circumstances. I do not approach it that way or water it down to make it fit into our lifestyles. That is not my approach at all. I want to know his heart. But look at what he said immediately after that. What verse are we in? Okay, verse 10, a wife is not to depart from her husband, but, what do you mean but? If this is an absolute, all-encompassing command, you don't put a button. in the next verse. You stop right there and leave it and say, don't do it. But right away, he goes into an exception. He says, but even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. Now think about it. Why would a woman leave her husband or why would a husband divorce his wife okay Uh, last night i had people start yelling out things (laughs) i'll tell you why i left that turkey (laughs) all right (laughs) let me just give you an overarching reason okay obviously there are some real extreme circumstances going on the pain uh, has become unbearable. Uh, there have been some really bad stuff going on in the marriage. Could, could we say that can be an overriding? Why would a person leave? It's gotten really, really bad, really hurtful, really painful. That's why. Uh, that's why she would leave. And the reason this command then is given. Well, let me let me say this. I've witnessed situations where. A husband and wife are at their wits' end. They're just a really bad marriage. Things are not going well for them. And one of them says, I'm out of here. They leave. When they do leave, I don't mean they immediately divorce, but when they do leave, and in some cases actually did divorce, they left, the other person gets right with God. The other person realizes how much of a mess they have made of their family and of their marriage, and they begin to change, and God deals with them. And actually, the end result is they come back together, and their marriage is now on a healthy path, and it's now become a good relationship. And it started, and again, now, don't take this as counsel for you to just do this, all right? I'm saying there's some extreme set of circumstances here, but sometimes that actually leads to a reconciliation and the marriage being put on a good path. I want you to know that's what the Lord wants. His goal is not to give people a way out of a marriage, but find a way to repair it, if at all possible. Find a way to make things good. And that's why the Apostle Paul said here, if she does depart, don't run out and get married. Don't go off and get into another relationship because that will preclude the first one from ever having any chance of making it. That's the reason he said don't, don't go out and get married. He was not giving an all-encompassing, overarching principle that said any woman who has ever left any man can never ever again in her life get married that's not what he's communicating here he they're trying to make relationships work not give ultimatums because again you see over and over do this but if that doesn't work do this do this but if you don't well try this I suppose it'd be good if you did this can we see that it's not encompassed in a law that says this has to be this way and i would highly encourage anyone if they if the relationship got that bad and it went to that point that uh, first of all don't jump out into another marriage because you're you know taking away the chance for the first one ever being reconciled but secondly you're not ready Secondly, if you just came out of one relationship and you're going to jump into another, you're bringing all your hardships and all your baggage and everything else into the next relationship. And that's why some many stats will point that people's second marriage is often worse than their first. More so than not, according to statistics. It's because so many times people jump out of one fire into another fire, and uh, they have the same problems multiplied. All right. But again, what if the first person, let's say the wife departs from her husband, which he said don't do, but if you did do it, what about if the man goes off in another relationship and he gets married? What good does it do for this woman who departed to now remain single for the rest of her life? There's no chance of the other relationship being restored, which was God's intent anyway. What good does it do for that person to be condemned to singleness now for the rest of her days? It does no good. Amen. And if that doesn't convince you, then let's go on. Let's, well, we'll finish up here in a minute. He, he, he went on to say in verse... <laughs> verse 12. But to the rest I, not the Lord, say... If any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. Look at that. If he's willing, if she's willing to live with him, even though she's a heathen, he probably got saved and then she didn't get saved. By the way, it is never a good idea ever, 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 for a believer to marry an unbeliever. It is never a good idea. I could spend a whole sermon on that, actually. But it's not a good idea. You're asking for problems. All right? There needs to be an agreement in any relationship, especially on the most important things. However, sometimes what happens is two heathens get married, and then one of them gets saved. What should they do? They're asking the question, I'm married to this heathen now. He said, well, don't leave just because, if they're willing to stay, that would be fine. Okay? He, He went on to explain, he said, and a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he's willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. In other words, he's got a certain amount of respect for your belief and, and what you know and your practice. And uh, he said, stay with him if he's willing to do that. He said, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they're Holy. Okay, he's not saying that he's saved because of her or vice versa or the children are automatically saved But he is saying there is a godly influence that comes upon the unbelieving spouse and the children because of the one person who is serving God They have that extra advantage and that favor in the home So he's saying if they're going to stay with you Let them do it because man, they're living in a in a home with a saved person a person who prays and the spirit of God moves in their lives That's a good place for them to be if they're willing to do that he said, but if the unbeliever departs, watch this, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. I want you to notice what Paul just did here. He's got the nerve, the audacity to add another exception to what Jesus said. Think about it now. Jesus did not give uh, abandonment as an acceptable reason when he was talking to the Pharisees for them to divorce. He did not include that. But yet many people will say, no, the only reason a person could ever have a legitimate divorce is if there's adultery. Paul made another exception. Was he contrary to Jesus? Or did he understand what Jesus was saying in the context of what he was saying? Paul told him, listen, if someone leaves you, fine. If he leaves, you let him go. He added another reason that Jesus didn't mention. That tells me that what Jesus said was not an all-encompassing, all-inclusive statement that applied to every person in every circumstance. He was dealing with one particular issue. And Paul here is not saying that this is the only thing. I think we can use our brains and let the principle of love dominate our decisions. But I'm not going to say because some woman is dealing with an abusive husband abusing her and the kids and stuff, that because he hasn't actually committed adultery, that she would just be a horrible person to leave. I'm not going to say that. Or, I've known of people in situations where a woman's husband left her, and being a believer... She was praying for him and wanting him to come back and, and get things straight and a good heart there. But, you know, when it's going on ten years, you know what I'm talking about? When people are just praying for him year after, and they're gone. They're married legally with a, with only the piece of paper, but in no other way are they married. And for that person to be taught in church... That, no, you can't do anything else. Do you, did they commit adultery? You know, what's going on? They're just gone. Probably have, but you don't know. And for us to say, oh, no, you can't do it. God would not accept that. That's not what the Word of God teaches. That's not... She's been abandoned. Get on with your life. I mean, I hate to say this because I don't want people to take me the wrong way or give say I'm just counseling of the, or giving them permission but leave the turkey <laughs> all right in your situation you know get specific counsel do you'd be wise to do that in any kind of serious situation okay but i think that's the heart of what's being said here paul took his liberty said i think you ought to do this i think this is what the lord told me but even if you don't do that this is what you should do i can see here that what's what's taking place are not overriding overarching laws that govern every situation and every circumstance in life. Sometimes um, sometimes we see situations where a person reads this and they say, "Oh, that's an unbeliever. If the unbeliever departs, let him go. Problem is, ah, married a Christian <laughs> And they departed or well, here's the deal. I don't, again, believe that that statement, the unbeliever, is just a technical term. I know some people who claim to be believers, but yet there's no evidence in it of their life at all. In their life at all. And if someone claim, if someone is quoting scriptures and be, being all spiritual on one side, but at the other side they're doing horrendous acts and, and doing just very abusive and very difficult things in their life... You tell me that's a believer, so now I'm bound because he says I'm a Christian? And that those scriptures don't apply there? I've got to put up with it just because he says he's a Christian or she says she's a Christian? No, that's not the heart and the spirit of what's being said here. You know, I like, uh, you know, to use James' analogy sometime. You know, he when he talked about faith without works is dead. You know, someone says, i got a fire in the fireplace. I said, no, you don't. He said, yes, I do. I say, all right, I'm going to go outside and see if there's any smoke. And if there's no smoke, there's no fire. In other words, if you're not acting saved, you're not pleased to dwell with me. You're not acting that way. And again, don't take this as a, well, good, I can wiggle my way out of this one. Well, you're acting like a Pharisee now, looking for any way out. No, we're looking for every way to fix. But there are some extreme situations and I don't believe that we, as Christians, should stand back and judge and make people feel guilty and make them feel bad, and the rest of your life is ruined, and God can never use you again. There's never been an acceptable place, because bless God, you're living in adultery now, and da da yada yada yada, and you don't know what they went through. You don't know what hell on earth they lived with, and all this person put them through, and then left, and then here they are stuck. And I'm not even, by the way, advocating that the, because this is people get hung up with this. Again, extreme situation, but many Christians will feel like, man, I'm just being, this is just horrible, but I can't be the one that files the papers, because then it's my fault. That's a technicality. That's a technicality. They have to be the one to file. No, they don't. I almost want to, I'm getting nervous right now. Because I've been around people too much to know that people make you say whatever they want you to say. (laughs) The heart of God goes back to Genesis. And it's exactly what Jesus said. In the beginning it wasn't this way. God made a male and female. Man would leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they'd be one flesh. He said what God has joined together, let not man separate. That's the will of God to make things better, to make things great. But in the midst of a sinful world, in the midst of a world where some people, male or female, do some really terrible things and make, a, make life absolutely impossible, the Lord still loves us. And He's not condemning a person to live under such tyranny, under such agonizing circumstances because, bless God, this is the way He requires it and you're stuck this way. And if if someone left, then you're permanently for the rest of your life, you're going to suffer and you're never allowed to have a relationship again. That's not the heart of God. That's not what the New Testament teaches, either Jesus or Paul, and they didn't disagree. Amen? Amen. Amen. I've got more to say, and we're going to get into some practical stuff moving forward about how to really make things great. But it's important for us to understand uh, this foundation of what the Bible has to say concerning uh, marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Amen. Thank you, Father, for your goodness now. Thank you for your love and compassion in every heart and every life. Lord, for ministering peace and comfort and joy to every person. For every marriage, every marriage represented here, Father, I believe, that you're able to take things that are bad and take them to great take things that are mediocre and take them to great Lord we just we yield ourselves to you and thank you for your love that is extended and it has been poured out in each and every one of our hearts the potential of our marriages is is really good Father for those who are single those who want to be married Lord I thank you that you lead them and guide them in the way they should go direct them in every step they take and to connect them with the right people at the right time Lord for those who are just experiencing treachery in the home in their marriage Father I pray that everyone would understand that that's not of you it's not your desire it's not your will divorce is not your will either but I thank you that there is mercy, there is forgiveness, and there is grace to help in time of need. Lord, I thank you for your love once again. It guides and directs all of our decisions. Father, I do pray for every person that's come today that's that's never been saved, those who are not right with you today.